Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. I'm Trace, one of the pastors here. It's wonderful to be with you this morning, and it's my privilege to talk, continue the story of Joseph today. Um, do you ever feel like you need to give yourself a little bit of a pep talk? You're kind of like, I can do this. You feel like that little engine that could. You go, I think I can, I think I can. Life can be difficult, can't it? As Christians, though, we are so privileged to have our hope in God. He loves us. He has the perfect plan for us. And the best possible way that God can be glorified right now is for his plans to be worked out in our lives. We can trust that he is in control. And we can do that because we can look into God's word and we can see how he has already done this in the lives of so many before. God's perfect plan will always prevail. So in the later half of Genesis, we're reading about the life of Joseph. In his life, we can clearly see God's sovereignty. He's placed Joseph exactly where he wanted him to be at the exact right times, all through his life. He, this, this, of course, doesn't mean that Joseph's life was easy. In fact, it was so filled with trials and suffering. However, in the end, God's perfect and glorious plan was brought to fruition for the good of his people. God's perfect plan ensured his servants will arrive exactly where he wants them to. They will transition exactly when he wants them to transition and they will receive exactly what he wants them to. So you might be here today feeling that God has forgotten you. You might be thinking of those times in your life that you thought that God was not in control. And maybe this is how you are right now. But I pray today that this, this message would be an encouragement to you. Why don't you join me as I pray now? Lord God, I just pray that as we go deeper into your word this morning, that this message would be an encouragement to your people. Lord, I pray for the people gathered here today who are particularly feeling like you may have forgotten them. Lord, I pray that uh, you would be a comfort and that this message today would be a comfort for us all, a reminder, Lord, of you being in charge of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So God overcame hardship and persecution. He doesn't only overcome, he, he doesn't only overcome though, he actually works through the hardship. So there are three different sections in today's message that we're going to look at. Uh, there is the first part of the message where Joseph is remembered, then he's tested, and then he is promoted. And that's where our Bible reading this morning came from. So let's, let's do a quick little summary of the story so far. Uh, Joseph's father loved him a lot. And he lavishes things on Joseph. He had given him a special coat 
that we all know as the multicolored, fabulous coat that Joseph wore, and this made his brothers jealous. But then his father, uh, then his brothers um, become even more jealous because he has a dream. And he decides to share this dream and brag about this dream to his brothers. That doesn't go so well. The brothers get very, very annoyed. They're very jealous and they end up planning to kill him. But instead, they sell him as a slave when he's just 17 years old. He ends up working for a wealthy man in Egypt, uh, Potiphar. He was an influential man. Potiphar's wife uh, actually takes a bit of a fancy towards him and she makes advances, but he keeps his integrity and he rejects her. Unfortunately, because of this, he's then falsely accused and of rape and he is uh, wrongfully sent to prison. After some time in prison, though, the warden sees that uh, he is a man that uh, is respected, he's... he's uh, got good favour with the warden and he is put in charge of all the prisoners and then the prison becomes blessed because it is and, and orderly because of Joseph's leader, leadership. Then he gives the two in, um, interpretation to two of the prisoners' dreams. One is Pharaoh's baker and the other one is Pharaoh's cupbearer. And when the cupbearer had been released from prison and he's reinstated in his role as in the palace, he quickly forgets about Joseph, even though he had kind of promised to Joseph that, yeah, thanks so much for helping me out. I'll, um, I'll speak up for you. He just forgets. And that, that um, forgetting occurs for a whole two years. And that's where we pick up the story. It's been quite a ride for Joseph, but we can, in all of these stories, see a clear pattern of God's faithfulness. So let's, set, let's just set the scene this morning. I am sure that this morning in Joseph's story just felt like every other morning. He's gotten up, he's got dressed, he's... A prisoner, he's a favoured prisoner, but he was still confined to those four walls. Doubtless, he had a brighter and a bigger room, maybe better food than the other prisoners. He wasn't in chains or beaten, but he was still a prisoner. And I can imagine that few things would be, you know, more discouraging than that same routine, day in, day out, being in prison. And then Joseph is remembered. So let's read from, uh, in chapter 41, from verse 1. When two full years had passed. This was a really long time. You would think that as soon as he'd been released uh, and in a space of influence, the cupbearer, his friend, would have said something, but he doesn't. But Pharaoh has a dream and he's, he's dreaming that he's standing by the Nile when, and that word when is kind of underplayed. It's actually a more urgent uh, word. It actually means and behold. So there's this urgency. Uh, out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. 
So at this time, cows are significant in the culture. They're a sign of wealth and flourishing. And now when it says sleek and fat, the original term is good-looking cows. Now, we've just had the ecker. Who went to the ecker? In, uh, excellent. I think we have one person, no two, go to the Ecker this week. Massive event in Brisbane. Uh, at the Ecker, I know for a fact, they have cows. And those cows are paraded because they're such good-looking cows. These are the cows. We're talking the best of the best of the cows are the ones in the dream. So these, where, where it says, I don't know, sleek, when, when I go to the Ecker and I'm looking at a cow, I'm not going, oh, there's a sleek cow. Not doing that. It means they were good-looking cows. I, I like a cow. They're, they're, they're gorgeous. So he sees a good-looking cow, and after them, seven other cows. But these ones were ugly and gaunt, and they came up out of the Nile, and they stood beside those on the riverbank, and the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows, and then Pharaoh has woken up. Uh, this is certainly a strange dream. Cows don't eat each other, and if they did, you'd kind of think that it wouldn't be the skinny cows eating up the fat cows. So it's all just a little bit weird. So then he fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a, uh, on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the, musicians, the, the magicians. Obviously, this dream had a huge impact on Pharaoh. He is completely freaked out. These uh, magicians are actually the sorcerers. They were wicked people, but they were the spiritual leaders of the city. And then he's also gathered all the wise men of Egypt. So that is the equivalent today of going and gathering all the professors from around Australia, all the business executives, all the people who were considered wise in the community, and they've gathered them all together. So he was really freaked out. He's like, ah, oh, what does this mean? And he knows it is significant. So then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servant and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him our dream and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them for us. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. So this dream had shaken Pharaoh so much that he'd summoned all these people to try and interpret the dream for him, but nobody can help. And yet now he learns that there is a Hebrew, a foreigner, who was a slave in prison and this guy was the one that might be able to help in this situation. 
one guy in a prison. Very, very unlikely person. So, now we get to the part of the story where Joseph is tested. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Can you just even imagine being Joseph? He's waking up. Okay, here we go again. Been in prison for a really long time. And then all of a sudden, there is a big knock on the door. And these guys come in that they would have been pretty schmick. They've hammered on his door and they've gone, hey, Pharaoh needs to see you now. He's gone, oh my goodness. What? Okay. All right. Can you even imagine what he's thinking in that moment? Two years have gone by. He has been waiting, waiting, waiting. And then he's gone, okay. So there's something significant. He's shaved. I imagine that he's probably not really caring about how he looks while he's in prison. So he's shaved, he's showered, he's got on some, some good clothes that would be present, make him presentable for Pharaoh. And then he has come into the palace. So he's gone from this grimy, awful place in the prison. And there's Pharaoh on his ivory throne. There's lions chained at his feet. There's slave girls that are there fanning him. There's members of that high court. They're all in their fancy robes. Chief priests of the various orders from around uh, Egypt are all there. And the guards are lining the walls. And there he is in the centre of it all. He looks over. There's his old mate, the butler. I wonder how he felt in that moment. I wonder. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph replies to Pharaoh, though. He says, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. The phrase, God will give him the answer, is more accurately translated to say, God will send his shalom. He will send his peace. In a city that had turned its back on God, this kind of peace was completely unknown. Without God, he is saying, I can't do anything. He's completely deflecting the credit from himself. And I find it remarkable that Joseph does this. It's a common thing to kind of go credit where credit's due. And we all know it's just a little bit annoying when somebody takes the credit for something that we've done, whether it be at school or at work, probably a little bit worse in the home when somebody gets the credit for emptying the dishwasher or something minor. But this is significant here. This is Joseph, he kind of had an opportunity here to go and say, yeah, yeah, I can do this. I can do this, but he doesn't. Even in an environment where Pharaoh, he does not follow God at all. Pharaoh, at that moment, could have gone, oh, no, you're out. But he doesn't. He deflects 
He says, it's not me. It is God. Without God, I cannot do anything. We certainly can see here such integrity in Joseph. And then in between verses 17 to 24, Pharaoh tells him the dream. Again, so I'm not going to read that. We've already heard it. But he ends with this. So I told this to all of the magicians, but none of them could explain it to him. And this was pretty unusual. Normally, these guys could at least come up with something, but not this time. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh, uh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Essentially, these magicians couldn't interpret the dream because this dream is from God. So the only person who can interpret this dream is a person that is walking with God. And the doubling of the dreams, he's saying they're one, but we recognise here that it, he, God gave him two dreams so that he really hammered home that uh, the need for interpretation. He gives him one, then he gives him another. It disturbed him a lot. So in our, in our world right now, we would be tempted to think that there is not a plan in place. Our world is full of chaos as well. But God is definitely at work. He's definitely in control. He not only uses the chaos, but he works through the chaos, the messiness of every day. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So then Joseph goes on to interpret the dream. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's, it is one and the same dream. The seven lean and ugly cows that come up after the seven years and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east winds. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And when he says God, he's saying the one true God. So it's important to understand that this is caused by God and this goes beyond just the district of Egypt. This is all the land that surrounds Egypt as well. And seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will rage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now, as in, and urgently, Pharaoh, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to put in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food in these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities of, uh, for food. 
This food should be held in a reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So where it says, let let Pharaoh see a wise and intelligent man, he is saying, essentially, Pharaoh was not wise enough to deal with this himself. There's a bit of a risk in that. Hey, Pharaoh, you kind of got to find somebody else to take care of this. This is pretty pretty uh, risky. And if, it, if he had said that to a man, a really arrogant leader, well, then he absolutely could have cast Joseph out. But he doesn't. And the other thing to note here is that Joseph doesn't mention himself for the job. He is totally unselfish in this situation. But now we see that Joseph is promoted. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God? Then he says to, Pharaoh, to Joseph, sorry, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. No one with the intelligence and wisdom that you have. So the ruler is literally saying, not even me. I don't have that. And he recognised that God was on him. Joseph had proven himself faithful in every situation, with Potiphar, with the jailer, and now with Pharaoh. Joseph lived in a way that it was discernible to others that God was with him. And now, this incredible response that we have. Keep in mind, it's just hours earlier that Joseph had been languishing in jail. Before that, he had been a slave, and of course, uh, above all of this, he's a foreigner. So... He says, you shall be in charge of my palace. Wow. You can, you can even be in charge of my home. All of the things that happen around my, my place. That is really personal. I'm going to put you even in charge of my house. And all of my people are to submit to your orders. They are to give you honour. Only with the respect of the throne... Will I be greater than you? So he's saying, my throne is my domain, but pretty much everything else I'm handing over to you. How amazing. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. So the signet ring is his uh, symbol of authority. Whoever wore that ring had the authority of Pharaoh himself. And he's dressed him in robes of linen, fine linen and put gold chains around his neck, also a symbol of authority. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him, he put him in charge of all of the land in Egypt. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Everyone should submit to you. Without anything, uh, without that, uh, 
what is about to happen over the next 14 years. It's all going to be in your control. We're handing it all over. So everybody has to listen to what you say. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name uh, Zaphnath Pina, which means code breaker. He knew the hidden language. This is his unique qualification, being able to listen to God. So by giving him that name, Pharaoh has also naturalised him as an Egyptian. And then he's given him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, who was a priest of On, to be his wife. So God provides for him a wife, someone who could be beside him, somebody who could be a confidant, someone who would support him through it all. And we can assume that she also became a follower of God once Joseph had shared his faith with her. So Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the surface of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and travelled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance and land, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored them in the cities. So there was so much absolute abundance in this time. Now, if it wasn't for Joseph, the people would not have known how to handle this abundance. They would have just squandered it uh, for those seven years. And then he says, in each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. So it wasn't like Joseph uh, created this one massive storage for all of the grain. Every single city was responsible for storing its grain, which means that if they didn't do it properly, those people surrounding that city were the ones that suffered. It wasn't everybody, it would just be those people. But Joseph had instructed everybody to do that. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping record because it was beyond measure. And before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. And Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. And the second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Children, as, as they are now, were very much considered a blessing. And God here has given him two sons. So let's just have a look at their names for a minute. Manasseh, it came from the pre, uh, a Hebrew word which means forget. So he is saying here that he has forgotten he has been able to forgive and move on. So when you think of what happened to him in his household, the trauma of that rejection, can you even imagine being, being um, sold as a slave? And before that, he would have known that they actually, some of, them, some of his brothers wanted to kill him. How awful. And yet he's been able to forget that. So he has named his son Manasseh, and every single day as he is uh, naming his son, seeing his son, it is a reminder to him that God has been faithfulness and he has been able to forget. 
And then uh, God again honours him. And so he names his son um, a name that means fruitfulness. So he's reminded of God's fruitfulness in his life that God has given him. So in spite of all that he endured, all of the things that he went through, we can see here that he harboured no resentfulness. It's interesting, isn't it? The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began. And just as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the other, all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. And when all Egypt began to feel the famine and the people cried to Pharaoh for food, then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Joseph's supernatural purpose during this time was to bring a blessing to the whole earth. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grains to the Egyptians for the famine was severe through Egypt and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Every single Egyptian was dependent upon Joseph for the survival even the surrounding countries rested on Joseph's ability to feed them. He was a great man, but his greatness was released, in, realised in his humility and his obedience to God. God had orchestrated the whole thing. He'd made a promise to Abraham that he would care for his people, and in order to do this, he had placed Joseph in all the right places to make it happen. And God not only overcame Joseph's situation, but he worked through his situations in exactly the same way God is with us today. He does not waste what is happening in our lives. Let's just have a little recap. Let's see what God used in the story. He needed Joseph to be in Egypt, so his brothers needed to sell him into slavery. He needed to be in prison. So Potiphar needed to send him there to prison. And the cupbearer also needed to be in prison at that time to have his dream interpreted. Pharaoh needed to be freaked out by his dream. Time and time again, we see God in this story. And we also see him in our own lives. The life of Joseph is also a story to illustrate, illustrate the providential dealing of God in the lives of his own and how we should view the circumstances in our lives. From the human side, Joseph suffered much injustice at the hands of his brothers. He was framed by Potiphar and had been forgotten by a butler. Yet, from the divine side, these events were permitted to, for the purpose of training and preparing Joseph for Lord, the Lord's work. And if we look at life from a human viewpoint, we can often become irritated, we can become frustrated. But if we take a divine view, we will see God in everything and realise that all things are working for our own good. Joseph began to rule when he was 30 years old. God had been preparing him for 13 years 
for this position and he came to power as a relatively young man, but he went on to rule for 80 years, 13 years of preparation, but he went on to rule for 80 years. We are sometimes tempted to think that there is no plan in place, but God is at work. He is in control. He not only uses the chaos, he works through the chaos, the messiness of everyday life. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. God is still on his throne. He still remembers us. It's an encouragement to us to know that we are in, whether we're in chains or in the king's chariot, God is working in our life. And like clockwork, the pieces of this puzzle fell into place right at the right time, right in God's timing. Isaiah 30, 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. You see, we're being strengthened when we go through trials. We're being established. We're being refined in our everyday life. Joseph was being prepared and shaped for greatness, but he had to wait on God's time. So perhaps today you're saying, when will God's promise for my life be fulfilled? When will the answer come? Let me just tell you today that God has a schedule and his schedule is perfect. His plans for you are perfect. He has you right where you need to be today. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. He has the perfect plan for you. God is on schedule for his timing is always perfect. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for this story. I thank you for your perfect plan outlived in Joseph's life. God, you are so, so good. You are so in control of all the things. And I just thank you that all we need to do, Lord, is trust Sometimes that means that we need to wait. But Lord, we just know that as we trust in you, as we lean into you, Lord, that you hold us in our spaces. Lord, I particularly want to pray for anybody here today who is in that hard time, that hard time of wait. Lord God, would you be with them? Would you give them your perseverance? Would you be able to show them, Lord, your comfort, your strength, as we rely on you every day? In Jesus' name, amen.